Hello and welcome to Ornithosaurus Wall. My name is Elvis and as always, I am your host. Alright, this is going to be kind of a long one with a bunch of things to go through. Primarily, some really great releases and unexpectedly, I'm going to be doing a short comparison slash also review of the new version of Utopia being put out by Amazon Prime and, you know, just kind of delve into that for a little bit. Anyway, let's move on to some news topics. We only have one thing I thought was interesting this week, which is that apparently Amazon is commissioning a spin-off series to the boys called The Boys Va Academy. And it's going to be about up-and-coming young adult superheroes learning the ropes. And okay, I mean, I don't care about The Boys. I could barely finish season one. And I just honestly have no interest. But I thought it was really interesting because they canceled the tick and they're giving... The boys, like, two more seasons and a spinoff, it's ridiculous. And at the very least, the only silver lining here is that it's keeping Seth Rogen far away from damaging other Garfinist properties. Like, I have no doubt if the boys got cancelled, he'd find a way to finagle a series at HBO Max for a Hitman show. And thankfully, that's not happening. Anyway, let's move on to what I read this week. First off, X of Swords Part 2 of 22 also known as X-Factor number 4. And I have to say, the baton pass from Hickman's opening volley in X-Swords creation to Williams' X-Factor 4 is pretty damn seamless. At least in all the ways that count. Creation was very Hickman-y, with a lot of pithy one-liners and indulgence of graphs and charts. Well, Williams does a good trick by somehow wailing through all that and finding the actual real character beats within and making them the centerpiece of the issue. Of course, it's still going to be going through the motions to get the event into place. There's a set order of things that need to happen, and it's not as loosey-goosey as something like the Empire tie-in miniseries, which was apparently a game of telephone, but it's still something to behold. In a fantastic turn of events, especially given how a lot of people have compared the plot of Exo Swords to something like a shonen anime tournament arc, we actually do get more beats that lean heavily and basically exacerbate that kind of tone. Like, we get a bunch of rules and regulations seem to only exist to arbitrarily bring the main characters down to scale for the tournament, which is something that's pretty common in those kinds of stories, like not being able to use power-ups or aids or having to fight in your base or original form. And it made me laugh a lot to see that same logic applied here. Now, aside from that, like I was saying, William was able to give the rest of this issue a surprisingly engaging humanistic tone. Seeing the repercussions and consequences from even just the first issue, and how damaging and emotionally fraught that was everyone involved, does a really great job at getting the heart pumping. In a story like this, in a plot like this, you have to care about the characters going into this. In fact, you have to more than care. You have to have a hot-blooded, white fury-style passion about these characters. And this does get that ball rolling. Nothing gets you quite revved up as much as Apocalypse realizing he's grown more attached to a certain X-Man, and becoming steadfastly determined to do right by them. And that's fantastic. Or even Polaris using what's basically the bones of a fellow X-Man to build a giant anime portal system. So, you know, I'm really enthralled here. Overall, two thumbs up, and I can't wait to see what comes up next week. Hopefully we get more confirmation about what I believe is hints toward an adamantium sword for Wolverine. So fingers crossed. Next up we have Hellblazer number 10, which is another bittersweet issue in light of the cancellation, and one that I really want to take the time to appreciate, because it's worth it. It might not be as viscerally enthralling, engaging, or fun as some previous issues have been, but it's the perfect little beat for this kind of story where you can step back and just fully take in how much of a self-loathing piece of shit that Constantine can be. I mean, it's been a while, and it takes no small amount of pain in realizing all of this. It's heart to heart, to heart between old John and his current younger self about how badly he's going to ruin everything, including his own life and the lives of his friends, and how that means he should just give up and give his soul and his life 
back to old John. Someone who is already at the end and can't be hurt because he's lived the life already. Which is oddly perverse and creepy as shit because it's the type of reasoning that could appeal to Constantine at his lowest. And old John tries his best to drag him down to there. Not to mention that some redone visuals imply that this is the end game of Constantine from the end of the old Tailblazer run. And it just seems so depressing that there is no end for John here. Like he's boned either way. Not even an afterlife in the dreaming was enough. It's not the first time a character's never ending struggle was the dramatic backbone for a run. I mean, you can take Morrison's Bad Epic for example, but this takes it to maybe a larger extreme for how intimate it is. With only two issues left, this issue did a really great job at creating some real foundation. Like, I know it's had some loosey-goosiness, it's been kind of fluid, but now we actually get more of a sense of what's at stake here. As with any really great content story, what's at stake is pretty much his last shreds of humanity, if he actually does have any left. So fingers crossed he can do more in these final issues, and two thumbs up. Now we also have Maestro number two, which I forgot to review last week. Two thumbs middle, it's boring, that's all I'll say about that. And three Jokers number two, which I don't want to review because something happens in it. So lastly, we have Milestone Returns number zero, and this was actually a free DC fandom issue, and I forgot to review it way back when, but I really meant to because it's actually pretty damn awesome. I don't want to give too much away because I do want people to check it out if they still can, but what it does best is that it feels like it has a clearer purpose and energy than most reboots of this have had. It doesn't feel dated in the ways that attract from nostalgia, and its nostalgia aspects aren't clouding itself from being relevant and topical. I mean, the way they play with Static's origin alone is a stroke of genius, and I was stunned at how perfect it was. Back during the previous abandoned reboot, there was some discussion as to whether to replace Static's iconic Malcolm X cap with something more recent in terms of imagery, like maybe a Calvin Kaepernick jersey. And his new origin definitely comes across with that kind of sentiment. And it pulls it off insanely perfectly, so bravo! Overall, it's a smorgasbord teaser issue with a bunch of little prologues done by the various creative teams they have lined up, and it does a good job giving you enough taste to get excited. I know I am. So two thumbs up and fingers crossed. And now we can move on to what I watched this week. And it's not technically a comic book show. Although comics play a lot of heavy influence on it. So I thought why not. I haven't done this in a while. So if you haven't seen either of the versions of the show I'm talking about. I do implore you to go check at least one of those out. Because I do think either one is worth it. And it'll probably make more sense to the review. What I'm talking about is Amazon Prime's new version of Utopia. And if you don't know what Utopia is about, the short of it is that it's about a bunch of comic fans who believe that there are a bunch of coded messages in one of their favorite underground self-published indie comics that foretell catastrophes and biological warfare and basically the end of the world. And they discover that they're actually pretty right on the money and they have to go around the run and, you know, try and not get killed by the people who are actually behind all the stuff in the comic. So yeah, either one, that's pretty much like the base summary of it without giving it away too much. And I just want to get off the bat, I didn't watch the original as it was airing. I think I saw the first two episodes before I dropped off it. Just didn't seem like my thing at the time, and I didn't go back and catch up on it before the Amazon version premiered. So the Amazon version is what I saw in its entirety first. And I really liked it. I liked it enough that I rewatched it almost immediately with my brother this time just to rationalize rewatching it. I think it's one of those madcap black comedies that really hits that sweet spot for me. It's a bit sloppy near the end, but it straddles such a fine line between its absurdist aspects and its more scathing and oppressing beats, rather skillfully, so I actually pretty enjoyed it. And I've just finished going back to rewatch the first season of the original from start to finish this time, and that was pretty good too. It's still not really my thing, mainly because the biggest difference between the two versions is the tone. The original British version is more intense and serious about the story, which is great because 
that actually helps to improve on some character beats that the remake kind of lets flounder a bit. Namely, two other child characters and a third character who is kind of really radically different between versions. But it still never really hooked me as much. And to give some credit to the remake, I feel like it plays with and executes a lot of the main comic gimmick better. The whole idea of Utopia in the series as a comic just feels more tethered to the characters and the story of the remake than it ever does in the original, where it could have been anything. It could have been just regular documents even. How the plot revolves around the comic version in the remake and how the characters interact with it as a comic is just a lot more sensible and they actually play around with that. Which is funny because in the remake it barely resembles a real comic while in the original Utopia looks like it could have been a heavy indie style self-published thing. I also thought the remake had better group dynamics and gave the characters a little more energy and helped sell them as a group of friends. Which the original kind of ignores or sidesteps or just kind of expects or to just accept. But like I said, the remake does get a little long and a two for the gags near the end. And it could have used some of the stakes that the original landed more harshly and more seriously because like there are some beats in the original that just felt like insanely crushing but in the best ways possible and especially Ron Dusan has been more darker. Overall, I can see why the original has its cult fan base and why it's normally called a cult hit because, you know, there's a lot of interesting ideas there. But I really like where the remake has started and I hope it gets a second season. So overall, 8 out of 10, 1 thumb up, 1 thumb slightly askew. Anyway, let's move on to listener questions. We have one this week from AkiCat on Twitter. And their question is, what do I think did the worst offense? Tom King's Mr. Miracle or Jeff Johns' Three Jokers so far? And I feel like this has some roots in my semi-ranty tweets about the two stories on Twitter the other day. And how I feel like one is being weirdly decried while the other, which is still equally bad, was applauded. So I guess it can seem like maybe I'm leaning too hard on one over the other, which I get. But I'm really just trying to even the scales because in terms of worse offense, they're almost exactly the same. I can't think of a real way one is worse than the other or did something worse because they're either equally inept or misguided or just perpetuating older ideas that were rotten from the core. It's just the ways they do these things that is different. Mr. Miracle uses really lofty idea-focused storytelling techniques cribbed from more to pout out and prop up an incredibly simplistic story that is actually reductive for those very same ideas. Three Jokers inspired by those same more techniques to hide the fact that it tells no story. I couldn't even review it because nothing happens in it, just really bad puns. So you either have a bad story told poorly or just poor storytelling with no purpose. Take your poison. So far I would say that the worst offense is still being done on Mr. Miracle because it was acclaimed and that means it only deepens the disrespect and misunderstanding of the characters involved for probably another generation. At least everyone has rightfully written off Tree Jokers, and no one's taking that seriously at all, so you know, and they shouldn't, so kudos to them. Anyway, thank you for that question, Akikad. I try my best to not go off into a tangent with that because, well, my emotions still run high with Tom King's, you know, just trash heap, you know? So thank you so much for that question. I had a lot of fun. I always have fun asking these questions, and you know, it means so much to me that uh, I get the interaction, so thank you again. It was a blast. And if anyone out there has any questions, comment, or topic they want to hear or discuss on the show, you can find me on Twitter at T-H-E underscore S-N-I-C-K-M-E-N. I will give a shout out to cover artists at D-O-T-E-M-C-E. Please check them out. They're amazing and they deserve all the traction they can get. Anyway, that's it for this week. I just want to say thank you to anyone who listened through all this. It means a lot. And I just want to say that I hope you have a great week and see you again next time.